Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Welcome back to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Governance. We hear a lot about it in the press at the moment. Uh, There's a lot of conversation from both our political and officers um, around the need for governance. And today I'm delighted to have Aidan join me. Uh, Aidan Rave is a, a leadership, a strategy and a governance excellent uh, consultant. Or uh, that's his, his area of expertise, I should say. Um, but I'm delighted. Aidan, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Matt. I'm really delighted to be here. Amazing. Well, just for the listeners at home, could you give us a bit of about your background and your journey to becoming a governance expert? Yeah, probably through the school of hard knocks, to be honest, Matt. Um, I uh, uh, it, Very early in my career, I became a, an elected member in Doncaster uh, Council, Doncaster NBC, as it was, City of Doncaster Council, as it is now, no less. Um, at a time when Doncaster was really suffering what could only really be described as a governance failure. Um, we had a huge scandal going on called Donnygate, which was all linked to expenses that extended into corrupt land deals and all sorts of terrible things. Um, and that was the kind of political environment in which I cut my teeth uh, and learned a huge amount about governance, I guess, through uh, the, the observation of how it's done poorly, um, as well as uh, hopefully picking up some some ideas about how it works well. Um, in the intervening years, I've worked in and around local government in a whole series of different ways. I've been a consultant, uh, I've been an officer, I've been a chief executive of a council. Um, and you know, I had a lifelong interest in local government, partly why I'm delighted to be on this uh, excellent podcast, Matt, uh, but learned a lot about governance along the way, I guess, uh, partly from observing, as I say, good practice and and, and poor practice, but partly through a, a kind of more structured observance of how governance really should work and, and why it's critical to um, high performing organisations. Well, let's start with the base then, uh, kind of a foundation. What is governance and what is it, what is the role of governance within local government? So governance effectively is the the glue that holds the whole thing together. Every decision that's taken, every service that you see, every um, policy that comes out, all of it links back to um, governance. All of it is a decision that's taken at some place, somewhere, somehow, with reference to the resources available, with reference to the implications for people who are using the service. Um, and and made by um, people who we put there, i.e. councillors, who we vote for at um, uh, elections, be they every four years or be they every uh, every year in some cases. Uh, those councillors, there are about 30,000 of them all told across the uh, entire country, their job is to take into account um, those resource decisions, those those demand decisions, and to make judgment calls, decisions. Uh, enabling them to um, discharge their functions as, as elected members. They've got to do that in a legal way. 
Um, they're also obliged, really, to follow a series of principles that were established many years ago called the Nolan Principles. Many of your listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with the, no- uh, the Nolan Principles. And the Nolan Principles really create a kind of framework for good decision making and good governance. And they relate to things like acting with selfness, uh, selflessness, acting with integrity, ensuring that you're objective and accountable and, and all such things like that. There are seven uh, of them in total. And so it's... I mean, I'd say that good governance is almost invisible when it's operating effectively. When it's not operating effectively is almost when you'll see it. And and I'd say that any um, organisational failure, not just in local government, but in any sector, private sector, national health service, charity sector, you can track back the crisis that occurs to poor governance and often poor leadership but poor governance will be at the heart of it somewhere so it really is absolutely critical to effective operations of of, uh, council services and of of good strong councils. Now councillors come from all backgrounds there's no minimum qualification or um, required experience to be a councillor in the first instance where does the training come from and and do you think at the moment as a follow-up question to that that there is enough training around governance at the moment? Well, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think back to my aforementioned days in Doncaster. Now, um, I'm sure many of your listeners who've got uh, a long-standing interest in local government will know uh, will need no introduction to the the challenges that Doncaster faced in the late 1990s and the early 2000s. I was elected in 1999, just at a point where a whole host of councillors were either elected or they were ejected from office via the um, the Labour Party uh, selection process. And one of the things that struck me about first being elected was the amount of investment that was made in our understanding of governance from a new councillor perspective. Um, which, to be honest, without any reference point, I just assumed that was the norm. I assumed that's what happened to councillors. I mean, we were, I maybe exaggerate slightly, but we were almost locked in a room for the first six months and we just had session after session after session on what good governance was, on on what the pitfalls of poor governance were, on what that meant for us, on how we needed to act from everything from financial uh, uh, decisions and and, uh, pecuniary decisions right through to ethics and bullying and and member officer relations and a whole, I mean, everything in between. It was was really, really comprehensive. Now, I look back now with a bit more, um, you know, hindsight and realise that the reason that happened is because of the context I was walking into. So the the council was in absolute crisis. I mean, it really was. It was on the brink of, uh, you know, intervention from central government, really. Uh, And that had only really happened once before with Hackney at the uh, the time. Um, Obviously, there's a story to tell in more recent years, which we may come on to. But uh, at the time, it was quite unusual. And so that level of training and investment was obviously a response to the crisis. Uh, in my subsequent years as a consultant, as a chief executive, I've never seen anything quite like that level of, of, of intensity. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that there should be that level of intensity. But I do have a feeling that the pendulum swung too far back the other way, that there's too much emphasis placed on you know, the electorate's role in rooting out and getting rid of bad politicians. Um, I'm not sure that's enough. Uh, I think we need to um, support and help our councillors and, 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 you know, enable them to understand exactly where the lines of good good governance are 
um, and, and give them the training and the support to be able to, um, to, to, to kind of effectively execute their office to the, to the betterment of the public that they serve. And in terms of that then, so for those listening at home, there are a set of standards that the, the councillors have to, the, the political members have to uh, operate within. Who, dis, who decides those standards and what's the consequence if the standards are not maintained? You know, what, what happens? Well, there are certain standards that are enshrined in, in legislation. So the Declaration of Financial Interests, for example, is uh, a legal requirement of councillors within a, a, a meeting environment. There are some that there are then dependent on custom and practice at local level. So um, how, you know, how far those um, principles of governance are enacted kind of changes from organisation to organisation uh, and, and, and you know in governance terms it's a case of if you've seen one council you've seen one council because they're all they're all quite different in terms of the way that they interpret it most I've got to say I'm not saying that um, that that you know councils aren't adhering to good governance most do um, I guess I would say that I think there's space for more time to be spent particularly with new members um and you know embedding them in 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 organizations but there, there are also other things like for example um as you as you said a moment or two ago there's no kind of person spec to be a counselor anybody can be a counselor as long as you're not disbarred legally uh, you can you can put yourself forward to be a counselor you can i can anyone can and you know if you hang around for a few years the chances are you'll get some sort of a committee maybe to chair or a, a, an opportunity to to hold some sort of higher level of public office in my experience you don't get taught how to operate within a meeting environment for example um in my experience of it was i kind of cast a look around the the metaphorical room you know the the, the various meetings i was in worked out who I thought the best operator was. At the time, it was a guy called Bev Marshall, who was the deputy leader of the council. He's very clever, very bright. He always ran the meetings with, you know, a degree of um, kind of punctuality, but also a kind of, you know, fairly light, jovial kind of mood as well. So, you know, I tried to keep things from getting too heavy. I basically just observed him and I thought, well, the day that I got the tap on the shoulder saying, right, can you chair this committee? I basically just copied him because that's all anybody had told me to do. Now, um, now he's, I think he was a reasonably good role model. So I think I had a reasonably good grounding, but there's no guarantee you could be observing somebody who's absolutely awful at chairing a meeting. They could be a complete bully. They could be a, you know, uh, they could be anything. And so there's there's a kind of simple point that we, we don't train councillors to chair meetings, to participate in meetings, to contribute to meetings. We just assume that they'll work out how to do it. It's a pretty light touch thing to do. I don't think that'd take a huge amount of effort. That could be in-house. It doesn't even cost anything. Probably a couple of half-day sessions on what constitutes good meetings. How do you operate them effectively? What does good look like at the end of it? You know, it, it seems to me like that's a fairly simple and straightforward thing to do. It's, but we, but we don't do it. So, I think there are kind of assumptions made that we'll just make it up and we'll fix it as we go along. I think there are some areas where we maybe just need to take a step back and think, OK, what constitutes good governance? What are the component parts of it? How can we enable and uh, ensure that our councillors have got a better grasp of that and, and are able to discharge that function accordingly? 
I want to take us back a step just because I'm really keen. One of the things I, I think that mainstream media do is they they sometimes they, they, they like to create scandals or they only report on that. But I do want to give some grounding context. Why do you think what what's happening at the moment that do you think is facilitating or potentially acting as a catalyst or expediting a, a scenario where governance quality and standards is slipping at the moment in local government? What, what, what do you think are the main reasons for that? I think there are some cultural challenges. So let's take something that's in the news at the moment, which again, most of the listeners will be aware of, which is the financial crises that are happening in various councils around uh, the country. Now, again, there's there's no set picture around these. There are, there are a whole series of different causes and effects that have, have uh, um, precipitated these situations. Thorough Cadets challenges, which are well documented. Birmingham last week was clearly all over the news. Uh, we've seen Croydon, we've seen Northamptonshire, we've seen lots and lots of them. And, and you know, and anybody who's in the know in local government will tell you there's much more to come. Um, so there are lots and lots of challenges in there. But I think there are very specific issues that exist within organisations that often will um, catalyse some of these governance problems. So, for example, there's a pervading culture in a lot of councils. It can be a good one or it can be a bad one. It's in, it's influenced heavily by the politicians, but it's not entirely that. It's also a culture that uh, inveigles with the, the, the officers and, and the partners, and often in system terms, the, there are quite a few partners involved. And once that culture exists, it can be extraordinarily difficult to break into it and say, hang on, I think something's not quite right here. I think we need to go in a slightly different direction. So take a, a, a and I'm not I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but take a take a Woking, for example, that, that spent a huge amount of money on um, invested in, in real estate and commercial premises and, and flats and all sorts of things. Again, pretty well documented. Your, 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 your listeners will definitely know about it. The situation in Woking, I remember at the time, um, talking to their officers and members and they were admirably committed to the program that they were on and I mean that very genuinely they were absolutely eulogizing about the importance of it to Woking and to be absolutely fair to them they were to a certain extent following the advice that had been given to them by the then government the coalition government in 2010 which which said to all intents and purposes look we're taking your revenue off you because everybody's going to have to live with this austerity regime. So what we're suggesting is you make your money elsewhere. You use your, you know, use your ability to, um, uh, you know, make money in in other commercial ways. And and obviously then there were a further loosening of the financial constraints that were on borrowing that had been happened in the new Labour years back in 2003. And lots of councils went out and borrowed money and did exactly what Woking did. Now, my point is. At that time, it would have been extraordinarily difficult for either a member or an officer in Woking to stick their hand up and say, no, 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 hang on, let's look into this a little bit more carefully. I'm not saying that, that there wasn't challenge in the decisions. I'm not sure. I'm not saying that they were reckless at all. I, I, they may or may not have been, and the no doubt history will tell us more clearly exactly what that was. But what I am saying is that the pervading culture was one of this is absolutely the right thing that we should be doing. And I think that's an environment where it's really quite difficult to make a serious challenge to, um, uh, you know, to to the kind of the, the pervading culture and therefore exercise that point of good governance. I think you see 
in the Letby case, for example, in the NHS, similar kind of, you know, tremors that are coming out afterwards where some clinicians were saying, is there something wrong here? But, you know, it's with 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 all kind of uh, you know uh, respect to, to to those who are involved is incredibly difficult in an environment such as a, a healthcare environment to turn around and say that a professional healthcare you know like a, a nurse like Lucy Letby is doing something as egregious as turned out to be the case and so you know within the NHS there's this this thing called the freedom to speak up it's it's a subject of hot debate um well, I guess what I'm saying is in local government terms is one we don't particularly have an equivalent of it we we rely on the fact that somebody will you know oversee things and continue to ask questions we rely on the fact that we've got over uh, overview and scrutiny as a as a kind of formal check and balance on the executive but there is a point about pervading cultures and about the ability to basically press the stop button and say we need to think about this a little bit more carefully and I think that again, um, I'm not saying there's a magic solution to it, but I think there is a role for governance and there's a role for governance training in that. And there's a role for governance training specifically with uh, elected members in being able to, you know, have the skill set and the confidence to be able to say, whoa, we need to stop and think about this without it turning into a political game of football. Definitely. And, and that's it. You know, I, I must say that one of the key messages that has become quite apparent from conversations with experts like yourself, Aidan, is that local government is most effective when politics has a small P in it, you know, where yeah. it's not about party uh, politics, it's about the best outcomes for the community. Uh, and I think I'm absolutely right with you, having the confidence to speak up and say, guys, just take a second. Because you do look at it sometimes, and I agree, it's hard sometimes, I think, the subtlety and necessity to take a breath and to take a real considered view on the direction you're heading in is difficult when there's so much noise and energy has been created into the momentum of a of a program of works you know you look back what happened in 2010 and and you know with the, the public work loans board and you know to a certain degree it kind of created it was almost like a snowball it, mm. it, it had so much energy that to for a politician regardless of their power to stand up and say guys you know, let's just have a think about this for a second. Let's just, you know, pause the, you know, the role that we're on at the moment. Many would have felt, you know, to a certain degree as a metaphor, local government was a drowning person. And, you know, you don't stick your your hand in to pull them out. You know, you just, you, you know, you, you become an, an, an object. What I'm trying to say there with that quite woolly metaphor is that people sometimes are, the, the, the financial situation in local government is so, so dire. Uh, sexual morphos are becoming insanely uncommon that now there's so much noise that I think the, the what you talk about governance being invisible mm. if it's done properly. And actually, I completely agree with you in so much as it, it, it should just be inherently, uh, uh, obviously, a well-run part of the, the system. It shouldn't hinder. It should just be there protecting a safety net. Um, but, yeah. you know, how difficult it is at the moment is why I think people are, I don't want to say rolling the dice with decision making process because I know that nobody's trying to, you know, trying to go bankrupt, but mm. it's almost like they're trying to throw Hail Marys because, you know, the alternative is they're going to go bankrupt anyway in five or 10 years. You know what I mean? So I think absolutely yeah. I agree with the need for governance to be properly regimented, but not everybody will have your your level of experience or your confidence data. What, what advice would you give to, to councillors that are newly starting out in local politics um, to be you know, uh, governance champions, as it were, to, to kind of champion best practice? 
there's a good question actually and I, I mean i agree on your your previous point it's 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 about the basics um it's probably about a recognition that momentous decisions right through to day-to-day -day services happen more often than not not because great speeches are made or huge debates in the council chamber they're made because councillors of all different parties generally sit down in in committee rooms and work through the detail of what needs to be done and ask the right questions about some of the challenges and the opportunities and the threats and the you know the the, the different aspects of any decision that needs to be made and good decision making like good governance happens because there's a kind of an attention to the small stuff not the, just the big stuff so i guess my advice to any councillor taking up their um their, their office would be to you know make sure you understand and ask the right questions make sure you realize you've got the agency to ask the officers any questions that you want to ask them make sure that you build a decent working relationship with the officers so that you've got that ability to be able to dig into the, the detail and to understand exactly what's going on Re remember the absolute golden rule is there is no such thing as a stupid question and i'll tell you now even if you think there's a stupid question and you are brave enough to ask it i guarantee you 90 percent of that room will think oh thank god they asked that question because i will wanted to ask that question the, the the daft question is the best question ever to ask I, I as as i've said a moment or two ago matt i've got a unique perspective well not unique i've got an unusual perspective on this because I've, I've kind of you know ridden both horses at some time and, and i would say if if anything else the secret formula for an effective council is good member officer relations if you don't have that everything else is really really difficult to achieve and that's the that's the platform that you can then build everything else upon so you know members get to know your officers get to understand them get to understand the challenges and the pressures that they're facing and similarly and i've said this to many officers down the years get to understand elected members and how they operate get you know understand at least what it might feel like to have to go and reapply for your job every four years understand what it feels like on election night when your entire life is emptied out of a series of kind of plastic bins on little pieces of paper in a table in front of you and the public are deciding whether you keep your job or not because i can tell you from first-hand experience it's a very very chastening experience to do that um uh, you know it, it's you know get to know what it feels like to run surgeries every week get to know what it feels like to walk around supermarkets and have people come up to you and say you know what about these potholes or what about that abandoned car or what about that grass verge that's not been cut i'm not saying because that gives you a list of things to do i'm saying more about the fact that that's what outcomes feel like and members deal in the quantum of outcomes because they live it every day of their lives and there's absolute value in the intelligence that they can give you as professional officers you know, Tesco spend millions and millions of pounds every year on a club card in order to know what their customers are thinking and what they're doing and and, and in order to be able to market um, services to them better. Councillors got that free. They got it through things called councillors, but they don't always exploit the potential of it and they don't use it. So absolutely member officer relations and 
taking the time very consciously to get to know uh, each other better. You know, I, I could hand on heart say that um, in, in, in the vast majority of instances that I've worked in, both as an officer and as a member, if a member went to an officer, a senior officer, and said, could you give me half an hour just in terms of a rundown of where the challenges are in your department, they'd be only too happy to do it. Similarly, if an officer went to a member and said, just give me a kind of flavour of what's going on in, you know, in, in out there in the community. Again, I'd be certain they'd be only too happy to do it. That half hour for both parties would be worth its weight in gold in terms of the insight that it adds to good decision making, good strategy, good ideas for new policies to take forward the the, the, the town or community that they uh, they serve. It's really interesting. I mean, would you do you think now that you've obviously, as I said, you've 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 ridden both horses you've seen it from both perspectives do you think that in the future you'd ever go back into local government politics um no i don't um i don't really i i don't think i'll ever be away from local government i've got a feeling i'm kind of a lifer now i suspect i'll uh, i'll never fully escape it um but i don't think i'll go back into the political uh, side of it and and i don't know i, I think that's partly because um I'm not particularly tribal. I never was particularly tribal and I find tribal politics really quite difficult. And what I've observed in the last 20 years, I don't know, maybe this is just my view looking from the outside in now, mm. but it feels much more tribal than it used to be. May not be, maybe it, it's not. And, you know, when I was a chief exec in South Castephen, you know, we had the monthly pantomime of full council, which is, I suppose, slightly akin to prime minister's question time. But for the most part, councillors got on with it and, you know, worked together to ensure that the the, the lot was better for, for South Castellan residents. So maybe it's not, but my instinct is that it is. And, and I'm not sure um, that the tribal bits um, would work for me anymore. As was the other bit is I, uh, <laughs> I had the pleasure of being a, a public servant in a time before Twitter and social media, and I'm really not sure how I'd deal with that. So No, I, I equally, I, I am far too insecure as a person to be uh, a, a punching bag on social media for um, for the public because you're never going to please everybody i think that's the thing yeah, isn't yeah. it obviously you, you've only got there's a limited budget there is an unlimited amount of demand um and that's the bit that i think is for anyone working in local government on the political side or on the officer side i, I take my hat off to you because it's i think it takes a certain amount of bravery to really have to stand by your convictions even when people are criticizing you because um that's difficult. Well, as, long as, to... as long as they're um, criticising something that they passionately believe in, I think that's fine. It's sometimes the medium. And, you know, I, I think back to public meetings that I was involved in back in the day. And um, you quite often get situations in a, in, a, in a group mentality where people would say things in a public meeting environment that they wouldn't say to you directly. And so... You know, I think there's almost a metaphor there for social media in that people will say things on social social media that they'd probably never say to your face. And I remember lots of instances where people would, um, you know, ball me out in a public meeting about some issue or other in, in the, you know, my local ward. And then after the meeting, come up to me and say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to get carried away there. I think you're doing an all right job. You know, I'm just really concerned about this issue. And the total personality transplant uh, transplant into somebody who was perfectly reasonable and i think there's a there's a slight mob mentality that happens on social media and and, and i think uh, you know i mean look i i 
I, I don't do social media for, for that reason particularly um, and, and I find it extraordinarily difficult to be a public servant in that kind of environment but fair play to those who do but I mean that's something that has changed a lot. Just, I mean, you're you obviously you've had an amazing career, Aidan. I mean, you've you've achieved so much across so many different sectors. Um, what would your advice be to people that are starting out in local government? I appreciate that you you've worked across. Just to give a bit of clarity, guys, you know, Aidan has been a senior director across charities, the NHS, local government. You know, there's not a lot this man hasn't done. What would you say would be your advice to somebody to be successful within local government? Well, maybe it's a moving target. It's harder to hit. I don't know, Matt. But um, no, I, look, I think my, my advice to anybody who wants to set out on a local government path is, is you know, if they want to be an officer, um, spend as much time as you can close to where the decisions are made because you'll learn more about that. And, you know, I think there's something here about the the changes that happened as part of the 2000 Act uh, when we got leaders and cabinets or mayors and cabinets. Um, one of one of the um, consequences of that, uh, unplanned consequences of it, I think, was that we didn't have all the committee meetings to which quite often relatively junior officers would come and present their papers. You generally had just one major committee, which was the cabinet, to which only senior officers went. And I think one of the unintended consequences of that was that junior officers didn't get to see politics at play. They didn't get to hone their political skills that they would need later on in their careers as they became senior officers and they had to kind of learn it on the job slightly. So and I think that's to some extent still the case. So my advice to them would be to, you know, learn the politics and understand how to to manage it, because, you know, you 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 will need to do that in your job and and as you hopefully progress through the uh, the ranks of the the organization and become more senior you will absolutely need to manage the politics now there's a difference between managing the politics and getting involved in the politics which you absolutely shouldn't be doing as an officer but you you kind of need to understand how to work with it how to um anticipate where the challenges are coming and and how to you know, make the politics work for you in the sense of getting better decisions and better services, which is ultimately what the politicians want. So that would absolutely be my advice to to the officers, to the members. It would be to some extent a reverse of that. The, the best members, the best members that I know out there and, you know, some of them are still around. Steve Houghton, for example, was around when I was a member and he's still leader. Sir Steve Houghton, I should say, still leader of Barnsley Council, great operator. Um, and he was, you know, he still is one of those people who will get to know what's going on in terms of the decision. Get he won't, he won't just say, "I want this." He'll understand what the challenges are facing the officers in terms of the decision that needs to be made. Because it's not just as simple as, you know, I want this to happen in my ward, in my borough, in my city, in my whatever it might be. It's also a judgment call about the resource availability, the risks that need to be looked at, the legislative constraints, the you know challenges in regulation from government, the partners that we will invariably need to work with to deliver. All those aspects are what go into good decisions and good members, um, you know, don't just kind of rule by fiat. They make themselves aware of all those different challenges and involve themselves in them in order that they can be part of better decisions. So my advice to members would be to, you know, don't don't just kind of play the local democracy card that you've been elected. Therefore, you get the final say. 
be part of a good decision making process by understanding it root and branch um, and, and by contributing positively to it. Last question. Um, and, and, and again, that was a phenomenal answer. Uh, thank you very much for that. Um, there might be leaders listening to this, chief execs listening, and they go, Aidan, you, you know, the way in which you talk about, you know, developing a, a culture, a positive culture of, of um, you know, of, of kind of, of, of a protective um, uh, governance for, for the local authority. Can people just reach out to you directly? What's the best way to get in contact with you now in your in your new role uh, with well not new role you've obviously been there for a few years now but with uh, with the Good Governance Institute? Yeah, I mean we we we're on you know we, we we've got a website we're on LinkedIn and all some things like that but um, I I still you know try to get to the local government events that uh, occur so you know the MJ Future Forums and the local government association conference and with a bit of luck I'll try and get across to Solace actually this year as well um, so it's good to see people in in person and catch up um, I, I think there's a you know, I go back to my opening gambit, I guess, uh, Matt, I, I do think there's a opportunity for us to improve um, the the standing of governance in, in, in local government. I think the the Good Governance Institute has got huge experience uh, in, in multi-sectors, including local government, I should say, but, but predominantly, I think, NHS. But we, you know, as part of our mission as an institute, we produce a huge amount of content free and uh, you know uh, online uh, open access really available for for anybody who wants to use it and we're always keen to talk to uh, any organization that wants to improve its governance so you know if 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 there's something we could help with if there's something that we could bring a perspective to then we would be more than happy to come and have a conversation about how we could uh, we could help with that on an open access and non-committal basis obviously we do do commercial work as well and that be interesting at some point too but um but we you know we're an institute that uphold the principles of good governance and that's that's really what uh, drives us i suppose it's, it's, it may as well just say at that point as well i mean of course the world of local government is evolving into these things we now call systems isn't it and uh uh you know the the advent of the integrated care systems last year um which are you know a big feature of i think the way that social care policy is being created um and and certainly social care resources are being allocated means that councillors need to be you know part of that and and you know very much are and um amongst the many other things i do Matt, i'm also a deputy chair of one of those integrated care boards down in buckinghamshire oxfordshire and berkshire west so um very again good governance wise we're really interested in the implications of different organizations coming together into systems how can you ensure that the principles of good governance are upheld within that environment because it's quite easy for things to fall between the cracks so uh, it's a very live debate um it's actually a really interesting debate as you can probably tell from my endless rabbiting i'm very uh, uh, i'm very kind of committed to it and, and enthused by it but uh it's it's only as real as those who bring something to it so you know hence the the offer um if there's anybody who's listening to this and we've sparked a bit of interest in governance we'd be more than happy i'd be more than happy to come and have a chat and and, and just sort of you know share some thoughts and and, and see where we go from there aiden thank you so much for your time today it's been fantastic talking to you great i really enjoyed it matt thank you if you're listening at home there will be a link uh detailed in the link um of the episode and how you can contact Aidan if you have any uh, questions around governance or any kind of potential 
requirements where you'd like a a, a, a governance expert um, who has uh, worked as both a chief executive for local government and also um, on the political side. But um, from us here at the uh, Truth About Local Government podcast, it's been a, a fantastic episode with episode, sorry, with uh, Aidan Rave, and uh, I just really, really have uh, enjoyed the episode. So thank you so much, Aidan, again, and um, I will uh, be back with you tomorrow, guys, with uh, a new episode live on the channel. You have been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Remember, your local council does some amazing work, but you can help. So remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing. If you like this podcast, please like, share and give a five-star review. If you would like to feature on the podcast, have any shout-out of excellent work being done by a local authority, or have any topics you would like covered, please email me at truth about local government at gmail.com truth about local government local government is at the heart of what we do